16. We're going to be continuing in our discussion of angels and who they are today. Before I do that, though, I do have a question. Uh, why was why wasn't Noah and his family able to play cards on the ark? Anybody know? Well, he, he was standing on the deck. Yeah, no. Another dad joke, sorry. All right, you can slap me after class. <coughs> Anyways, I know, they're getting worse, aren't they? I got I to gotta quit. Keep, Joey keeps saying, what's your joke for tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, I'm under pressure. I got to find a joke now. But I, got, I, got, I guess I've messed myself up. I, every Sunday I got to come up with something. No, seriously. We've been studying about angels, and we've seen that there are many references to angels in the Old Testament. We went over a lot of those last week. Actually, I kind of ran out of time. There are many more that I did not even get to. But we read about them over and over and over. In fact, you can read uh, the word uh, angel or, or what in the Hebrew is malach or malach, or malach kind of like that. And, and it's all, you can find it 103 times in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a word that means messenger or someone bringing a message. And it can be used not only in, uh, in like a heavily being sense, but also in a, in a physical sense. 1 Kings 19, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to tell him that what you're going to do to me, I'm going to do to you. And then you have Genesis 28. Remember Jacob's dream about the ladder and the, the messengers, the Malak, the angels that were climbing up and down the ladder? That's all there. And you see it used in different contexts in that way. But we're looking mainly at the supernatural or heavenly beings that were sent as messengers to men, right? Beings that, are, that carry out the will of God. Beings that in, uh, in Hebrews we read about are being make, working in our lives and working for those who believe, helping us out, watching over us perhaps, helping us in our lives, doing things for us that we don't even know. And we can read about those all through the Old Testament, right? In our previous survey, we read something about the angel of the Lord. And I talked about that a little bit last week, and I you know, there's a lot of different references, and I said we get a little deeper into that, and that's what we're going to do today. So if you've turned over to Genesis chapter 16, we'll be reading from there shortly. He speaks kind of interestingly there. He speaks in the first person as if this angel of the Lord is the actual Lord himself. And you're going to note in the translations that you'll see, I'm not sure if all of them have it, but you're going to see the word angel capitalized there. In most, I know the New King James has it. And that's because the translator sees that to be the Lord, God himself. Therefore, the word is capitalized, right? And we're going to look at some different uh, things about that, too. Um, <clears throat> who is this angel of the Lord, right? Who is this person that speaks as if he is the Lord, but he's referred to as an angel or a malach, right, a messenger? The phrase is especially employed to denote the Lord himself in that form in which he condescends to make himself manifest to man. It seems to denote, denote someone of the Godhead, but in angelic form. Someone in the Godhead that's making himself uh, physical, physically present in the sight of man, perhaps, right? Being able to speak with man, being able to speak with characters that we have in the Old Testament, right? And we're going to look at some of those. <coughs> some even will go so far as to say that this is Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And we'll look at that as well. In other words, some would say that he was the Son of God pre-incarnate, not in the physical flesh like we read about in John 1, where he came uh, when the Word was there in the beginning and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But we'll see about that too. Could it be 
what might be the explanation for this, right? Well, let's turn over to Genesis 16 and read a few verses about this angel of the Lord. Beginning in verse, uh, beginning in verse 7, this is, a, this is a situation where he's speaking to Hagar, who was Abraham's concubine. And just read what it has. It said at the beginning of verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, uh, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with a child and you, are, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now notice verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also, born, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Observe it, observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named a son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right, so here we have the example of the angel of the Lord appearing to Hagar after she had conceived. Remember, Hagar went into Abram because Sarah was barren, right? And Sarah became jealous of her because she was with child. And so she sent her out, and the, and the angel of the Lord came to tell her, don't worry, you'll be taken care of. Ishmael's going to be coming. Your, your son Ishmael will be born, and he will be a leader of nations, have, have a great multitude through him. So it's interesting how this angel is talking to her, but then she refers to him as you are the God who sees. So it's interesting. All of a sudden it changes. Now she's seeing this angel as the God who sees, the God who knows her. So it's interesting how that kind of changes around a little bit. First, you think that's a messenger, messenger of the Lord, an angel, a malach. But then, the way Hagar refers to him, he sounds like he's actually God. He says, have I also seen him who sees me there in verse 13. Let's look at another example. Turn over to Genesis 22. Let's see how he talked to Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> Verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And, they, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide. As it is said in, to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. 
in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So here we have Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac, right? God had told him to do this, and got the end. The angel of the Lord, wait a minute, I thought it was God that told him not to sacrifice him. Not, scripture says the angel of the Lord. Interesting. But then that angel of the Lord goes on to say, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So then he's speaking like he's actually the Lord. Interesting, right? That angel of the Lord is talking to Abraham, telling him to take Isaac and sacrifice him to show his great faith. And then here we have the, the monologue there at the end there where he's telling Abraham about the great nation that will come through him. And he's alluding to the great salvation that's going to come through him. Interesting point, right? Here the angel of the Lord, who's speaking as if he's God, is making that great promise to Abraham that we all know about, that we all understand and we all are thankful for, right? Because it affects us. Interesting, interesting concept. Turn on over to Exodus chapter 3. Let's look at another example with Moses. And we kind of alluded to this last week. And let's look at it one more time. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. All right. Here we have Moses at Mount Sinai, and he sees the burning bush. What does Scripture say? Who does Scripture say spoke to him from the burning bush? The angel of the Lord. But when we do Bible class and we're talking about this, who do we always say spoke to him in the burning bush? God, right? I don't remember ever hearing when I was a kid that the angel of the Lord told Moses anything. It was always God. Isn't that interesting? Oh, but, but then if you read on, it's God talking. In fact, verse 4 so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Interesting. In verse, we have an earlier verse that says the angel of the Lord has spoke to him in the bush, and then we have God calling him. So which is it? Interesting, right? The angel identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Well, remember the word, malach, means messenger, means the word is being communicated to Moses here, to Abraham earlier, to Hagar before that. It's being brought to man. From who? God. So in essence, that word is being communicated through a messenger. The question is, is that messenger actually God? Or is it just a, is a different being? Is it actually an angel? That's not God. 
Continue on. Turn over to Exodus chapter 23. Let's read a little further. <clears throat> this is dealing with Israel, the nation. Exodus chapter 23 and begin in uh, verse 20 there. <clears throat> it says, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hevites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars." Here we have the angel leading Israel through the wilderness. But it's interesting that he says, my name is in him. My name is in the angel. And you are to obey this angel. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's a different person than God. But then he says, my name is in him. So he sounds like he's saying, but the angel's God. Interesting. This is stuff I know you don't necessarily get when you're just reading through this, right? So that's what we're looking at a little, a little deeper. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 33, and let's read a little further on that. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 33. And let's begin in verse, uh, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. That you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us. So we shall separate your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Here we have a reference to uh, where he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Yet before that, he talked about an angel going with them. But he's saying his presence is with them. In other words, God's presence is there. So kind of having that mixed up reference again, is this actually an angel or is this actually God? And from those verses, I would say it's God. He is with them. He is with them in the wilderness and he's going to defeat their enemies. He's bringing them into the promised land of Canaan and he will provide that because he has found favor. They have found favor in his sight. And, and of course, uh, we have uh, Moses asking for that, right? All right. So these are examples of where this angel of the Lord speaks as the Lord in the first person. There are others. Numbers 22, when an angel describes, it's, when an angel describes himself as the Lord uh, interchangeably between the Lord and, and an angel. Also Judges, in Judges particularly chapter 6, uh, where he's referred to as an angel of the Lord. And there's some other references that we won't get into. Okay, well, who is this person? Who is this angel of the Lord? Can we actually truly know for sure? Is this an angel? Or is it God? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is it something else? Well, let's look at some of the explanations. One explanation would be that it's an angel 
with a special commission, right? Acting as God's representative or God's ambassador. Uh, now, I just mentioned there in uh, Exodus 23, we just read that passage. One problem with having this as being an angel, someone who would not be, um, will not be God, is that it says he's able to forgive sin. Well, who can forgive sin? Jesus or God, right? The Godhead. An angel can't forgive sin, remember? Angels were created by God, just like we were created by God. Can we forgive sin? No, not truly. We can forgive someone who sinned against us, but we can't forgive their sin. Only God can forgive sin, right? So that makes that explanation a little bit difficult to say this is an angel because he says he can forgive sin. All right? What about this idea that it's actually Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God? Well, a kind of, of temporary pre-incarnation of the Word, a person of the Godhead. Before we get into that, let's turn over to John chapter 1. I want to read that passage again just to re refresh our minds about the beginning and who was with God and all that stuff. Let's look over at John chapter 1 and just read a few verses from there. Verse 1, <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now just those two verses tell you a lie, right? In the beginning He was with God, and He was God, and He was the Word. Interesting concept, right, when you think about it, because we're talking about a messenger, an angel being a messenger, Someone bringing word to someone, right? That's what a messenger does, right? Brings you some mail. Brings you the news. Tells you something you need to know. Read on. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then if you go on down verse 12 actually verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us wait a minute the word became flesh well isn't that kind of what we're saying when an angel becomes flesh they're bringing the word well they're messengers but they're not necessarily bringing us the truth right only bringing us something from God God is truth God has the truth God is the word and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I wanted to read that to kind of go back and look at that, because when we read about, when we read a passage talking about the Word, what are we really talking about? God, right? That's how we know the truth. It's through the Word. It's through God. He had to reveal it to us. In the flesh, we cannot know absolute truth on our own. Sure, we have creation. We, have, we can see things. We can see, as Paul talked about in Romans 1, that the Gentiles didn't have an excuse because they could know that there was a greater being simply by looking at creation. I mean, all you got to do is go outside and look at the trees, right? The little birds. How did they get here? Where did they come from? Through his word, his message, 
his revelation. We know who he is. We know the truth, and we know how we are to obey and are to live because of that. Isn't that fabulous? Isn't that wonderful? Had he not done that, we would just be wandering around, just existing, right? Yeah. No hope. Just you live for a few years, then you die, and that's it. So that's what we're talking about. I want you to pay attention a little bit. If this is Jesus, the incarnate son, then the term angel will be taken uh, not just a sense of being a messenger, but of being deity, right? You might think of it more that way. Interesting verse in Malachi chapter 3. He says, the Messiah to come, is this is Malachi 3 verse 1, this the, is the prophecy of the Messiah. He says, the Messiah to come is described as the messenger of the covenant, okay? Now, what's the covenant? Of course, we have the Old Testament, then we have the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was nailed to the cross, right? When he died, rose again, we now have the New Covenant living in Christ, right? We're no longer under the law like we talked about and we studied Galatians. We use that as our tutor, so we know that word came to reveal to us the truth. But we're not under the law. We're under the law of love through Christ Jesus and he is the messenger of the covenant. Interesting verse there. So if Jesus were the messenger of a covenant, could it be that he was an angel during the old covenant? Perhaps an angel helping those who were living and believing and obeying God during the old covenant because he's really the messenger of that new covenant. He's going to come, and that new covenant is going to come into being. Yes, sir. good point very good point yes you're right he lowered himself as scripture says a little lower than the angels right he did not see that as being a problem so that he could be sacrificed for our salvation yes very good point it's an interesting concept to think about christ being the messenger a couple more things about that paul reveals uh that israel in the wilderness was nourished by this spirit let's let's look at that look at that passage turn over to first corinthians chapter 10 I want to read a couple things that Paul says using Old Testament examples to talk to the brethren who were in Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 1 he says <clears throat> moreover brethren I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ hmm. but with most of them God is not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness 
So he says they were nourished by that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. Okay, well, is he talking about the angel that was with them? Or is he actually saying there, perhaps, that there was Jesus Christ that was with them? Hmm, interesting concept. We know the angel spoke like he was God, and we even have scripture that said God was with them in the cloud, in the wilderness. So Paul makes an interesting reference there. And then look over there at verse 9, where he says, Nor let us tempt Christ as someone that also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Remember that? Remember how the serpents were biting the Israelites in the wilderness? And some were dying, and Moses had to make a brazen serpent, wasn't it? Or was it brazen or golden? I can't remember. I think it's brazen, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And they were to look upon that if they got bit, and they were healed, right? He says that was Christ. Hmm, interesting point. Some things that when you're reading through this, you would never think about, would you? Interesting, right? They tempted Christ with the serpents in the wilderness. So some would take this to refer back to the angel of the Lord or the angel of his presence that we mentioned there in Exodus 33. All right. So maybe we're talking about Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate here. Maybe that angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. Maybe that's why it keeps saying the angel of the Lord and keeps talking as if it's God, because Jesus Christ was God, of course, right? But there might be a couple problems here. We're going to look at those two. Turn over to 2 Samuel. Let's read a few passages from 2 Samuel. I'll give you a second to get back over there. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let's forget Samuel's ahead of Kings. <clears throat> All right. Now this is referring back to when David did something. He took a census. Do you remember the story? He had the Israelites numbered. And it did not please God. Why was that? Well, this is an interesting thought, right? What would be wrong with David going out and taking a census of the children of Israel? Right? I mean, we do that, what, every 10 years here? I wonder if that displeases God when we do it. But I think the idea is that David did it without God's command. Or David did it on his own, as if he was... The one that owned them. When you take a census of something, you're taking a census of what you own, right? Like an itinerary, maybe. You own a business, every year or so, you got to take a, got to what? Go find out what you got, right? Well, if you're really big, you do, right? You got to go through and take inventory of everything. It's kind of what we're talking about here. Did David own the Israelites? Were they his people? Well, he was the king. So, kind of could say that they were his constituents right they were his people but no David was king because God had placed him there right so who were the Israelites whose people were the Israelites God's right so God would be the one saying I own these people therefore 
I'll tell you whether it's a number of them or not, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, good point. At this, and it talks about 800,000 mighty men in, in uh, Israel, 500,000 in Judah, I think it was. Yeah. Anyways, the point being that David sinned by doing this, all right? And whatever reason was, that's the truth, okay? Now let's read on from there and see what this has to do with the angel of the Lord. Beginning in verse 10 there in chapter 24, he says, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I will offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, And he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. David ponders it, of course, and said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. In other words, David said, I'd rather be punished by God than man because God is merciful then reading on so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning to the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men of the people died notice this next verse or two and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people it is enough now restrain your hand God showed mercy. David was right. He chose that because he knew God would be merciful. God restrains the angels. Wait, God did what? He restrains the angel. Oh, reading on there. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Hmm. So now we read about God bringing a plague and the angel has to be restrained. Who was this angel? Apparently, it was the angel of the Lord. Okay, interesting. It's not, right. Perhaps the translator doesn't consider this to be the same person, right? And if this is Jesus Christ, he just killed 70,000 men. You have a little problem with that? Well, he is God, right? He can judge. But it makes it a little more difficult to think, well, is that really the angel of the Lord? Hmm. It's not what? Oh, yeah, yeah. Meekness is not weakness. That's very true. And he has every right to do it. He is God. Interesting concept, though. He was sent to destroy Jerusalem after David's senses. Turn over to 
Second Kings. Let's read another example of something similar. Second Kings chapter uh, 19. And let's read 35, verse 35, 2 Kings 19 and verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed of the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And people rose in the early morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Here again, we have the angel of the Lord. Killing Assyrian men, 185,000. Well, is this Jesus pre-incarnate? It might cause a little problem to think Jesus being the one who does the destroying. I mean, after all, it is God's command to do it, right? <coughs> then again, Jesus is the one who will exercise judgment, right? Turn over Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Let's just read about that real quick. And by the way, well, let's read the verse first. Got something to say about it. Second Thessalonians chapter one. <clears throat> verse seven. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and so those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Wow, that sounds pretty tough, right? Jesus is the judge. And for those who are not saved, will endure the punishment, the judgment. I'm going to digress a little bit. I heard somebody talking this week about God never said anything about homosexuality. I mean, Christ, not God, Christ. So Jesus never said anything about it. You ever hear that? Jesus was loving. And he was. Don't want to downplay that. Jesus never talked about homosexuals. Jesus didn't talk about death and dying and being judged. Oh, yeah? <laughs> All you got to do is read a few other verses. Exactly, exactly. I always love it when the world tries to tell you something about Jesus that have never read the scripture. Anyways, I don't want to make it sound like I'm... There's that word again, that word that was brought to us by whom? The angel of the Lord. Yeah. Could this truly be Jesus Christ? Well, the world would say no. 
but Jesus is going to judge. And remember, where is he right now? Sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, which those who are being saved are part of presently. That means us. Every believer, baptized believer in this congregation or in the world is part of that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, who Jesus spoke about many, many times. Oh, and by the way, he said, what did he say about the rich man? Remember that? He's a rich man, goes to the eye of a needle. Or he's for Campbell, goes to the eye of a needle, and a rich man to get into heaven. Well, that sounds pretty rough. That doesn't sound so loving, does it? <clears throat> the world doesn't get that, though, right? The world doesn't get tough love. Well, you tell somebody they can't live in that relationship, they've got to change their lives or they're going to end up in hell. That's not loving to the world, right? But Paul wrote the Thessalonians that they're going to be judged and they're going to experience the wrath of Jesus Christ who's reigning in his kingdom. Absolutely. Good point. All right. Well, now we're digressing there a little bit. That's okay. Got to get on the soapbox every once in a while, right? So who was this angel of the Lord, right? Well, we have a couple ideas there. Perhaps he was an angel. Perhaps it's Jesus Christ. It's certain that from the beginning, God used angels in human form, right? Human voices in order to communicate with man. We did not have Jesus in the flesh until he came, right? So all those in the Old Testament only knew about God through his revelation, through his word, through messengers who came and spoke to those, uh, to those who were obeying God, to those who needed to hear from God. So it must be remembered that there are only conjecture, it's only conjecture, or it, it really is a great mystery as to who this angel of the Lord is for sure. I, I, I believe it's God. I don't know that it's Jesus Christ, but that's a good, good concept. It's, it seems plausible. But the point is, he was bringing the message to those who were being saved, to those who needed to hear it, right? We, uh, we can be thankful for that. We can, we can absolutely be thankful for that angel of the Lord. In fact, let's turn over to Colossians. I want to read a passage from Colossians that Paul wrote in chapter 2. <clears throat> he says, chapter 2, and let's start with verse 8. He says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition, tradition of men, According to the basic principles of the world, in other words, you're not loving, you're a hater, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head. And remember this, we already talked about how the angels are dealing with principalities of darkness and powers. That last part, he who is the head of all, principality 
and power. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he is God. He came to the world in flesh, gave himself up, shed his blood so that we might have a hope, eternal life with God. Thank God for that, right? And thank God for that angel of the Lord. I know you probably don't know any more about whether who the angel of the Lord was today, and not that you wanted to anyways, really, but hopefully that will help you grow a little bit. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.